Yeah, um, Trump's getting slaughtered in the courts. <laughs> the news organizations are trying to, are um, asking the judges to televise the proceedings. Haha. <laughs> and he's going to be cross examined. Haha. <laughs> Trump holds. He gave up that 500 million um, lawsuit. This credit card has an interest rate that's really, really low. How low? This low. The credit card that's in your wallet right now. Michael Popak, Legal AF. Donald Trump's on the run. This yeah. is now his second case that he has dismissed because he's going to be on the losing end of whatever motion or lawsuit he has filed. He's now just today dismissed through a stipulation with the New York Attorney General the suit that he brought under an arcane set of statutes in New York, Article 78, to sue the trial judge in his fraud case, Judge Ngoron, directly, to try to apparently, according to the Article 78 petition that was filed, in order to get the appellate court, who is ultimately the bosses for the trial judge, in this case, the first department appellate division that sits in Manhattan, to stop the judge from ruling on the motion for summary judgment that was pending, filed mm -hmm. by the Office of Attorney General, Letitia James, to try to have the court, without a trial, rule that there was a persistent fraud mm -hmm. and that there should be remedies related to that. Persistent and so they ran to, to uh, they ran to um, the appellate division with an Article 78 petition suing Judge Angoron. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this 32 years. You don't sue the judge. I'll just leave yeah. it at that. Um, making the argument that no, oh, please make him stop. Don't don't let him rule on the uh, the summary judgment. It, it, you tell him he's got to look at things in papers over the next three weeks. And uh, we don't think he's going to rule appropriately. And we have that fear. Please stop it. This is not grounds for an Article 78. You know, your fear that the judge may do something, the judge, um, you think the judge needs more time to do something. You know, if you think he made an error and it's reversible, you take an appeal. Short of that, you don't take a pre-appeal. You don't anticipate your, your argument. And so the, the uh, appellate division sort of ignored the petition, to be frank. They didn't set oral argument. They didn't take it up on an emergency basis. They didn't set a briefing schedule. It's really just been sitting there in, in an embarrassing fashion for the lawyers for Donald Trump. He could have done a lot of other things. I'll talk about him on another hot take. File a motion for stay with the trial judge. File a motion for stay with an emergency basis with the appellate court. But Article 78, sue your judge. And so um, they sort of figured out that that is dead on arrival. Um, and they should probably put their eggs in another uh, basket. And so today we get a filing. Now, it's not just a unilateral stipulation by one party. It's a joint stipulation. Office of Attorney General signature on one side, Donald Trump on the other. We'll put it up on the screen here. And what that means is that the parties have agreed. In other words, the OAG won't seek fees and costs as it relates to this dismissal because she just wants the case dismissed and get rid of it. One less thing for her to have to deal with. Um, and so it says in there, very interesting, they want to give themselves some cover as if there was some procedural reason that they dismissed it, not because they're running scared. And so as cover for the running scared um, narrative, which is true, they put it a part in there that's not true 
It's technically true, but not something that matters. And the New York Attorney General, I'm sure, who negotiated over and labored over the wordsmithing of this document was like, who cares? Write what you want as long as it's accurate. The part that they wrote to give themselves a fig leaf or cover is that uh, Judge Angoron did not appear in the proceeding. And therefore, since he did not appear in the proceeding, dot, 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 we're dismissing it. Okay. That's a complete misstatement of the statute. The statute does provide that the trial judge who has been sued under Article 78 does not have to appear. And if he doesn't appear, two things happen. One, he is bound by whatever rulings the appellate court makes. That's okay. I'm sure Judge Angoron placed his fate in the hands of five justices of the um, of the appellate division. That's fine. A lot of them were his friends. Some served with him in the, in the uh, trial court level. I don't think he cared about that. Um, and um, he's in everything that uh, is in the petition is automatically deemed deemed denied. Boxing streaming services, that exercise app to show oh, your no. friends you bike 20 miles in the rain. And your hometown newspaper for that one. That's why I'm such a huge fan of lower your bills things. Easily can't. Rocket money, can't. money also lets your spending limits with over 3 million subscriptions and manage your money.com slash legal AF. And so Judge Ed Gordon was okay for that. He didn't need to have lawyers for the court system appear and defend him, file papers. He knew the New York Attorney General was going to properly litigate that case for him. Um, and so it really was a non-issue. No one ever thought that Judge Angoron was going to, quote-unquote, appear in the case. And he didn't. But they cited that in the stipulation. Aha! Judge Angoron didn't appear. Because you know they're going to go on social media and say, Angoron was a coward. He didn't appear. He was afraid of our suit. And therefore mm -hmm. we dismissed it. See, this doesn't make any sense. That's why we have to call it out here on the Midas Touch Network on Legal AF, because he'll get away with, to the uninitiated, he'll get away with arguing, I won, Judge Angoron didn't appear, so I dismissed Crazy. it. Makes no sense, it's not logical, it's not coherent, it doesn't track, but that's what he'll argue. But what really happened well, is, he knew he was on the losing end of an Article 78 man. attempt to take a shot at the judge, and because all of the relief he was seeking by the by the um, appellate by division has already been mooted, right? Because uh, the judge took action. By the time he got around to filing the Article 78, a few days later, the judge ruled against him on the summary judgment and found as a matter of law that there was persistent fraud forever in the operation, or at least for the statute of limitations period of, of six years, in the, or, in the operation of all Trump businesses by Trump executives, including those that have his last name and his face. So there was nothing left for the appellate court to do. The judge had already ruled on summary judgment three days later. He's been handling this case for over a year. He knew the facts in and out. There were dozens of hearings. There were dozens of deposition transcripts that he's read or video depositions that he's seen. There's nobody more prepared to rule on a motion for summary judgment than this judge and Goran. I practice regularly in, in the New York Supreme Court, which is the trial level court. Um, I regularly practice where, we're, where there's summary judgment issues up for grabs. I will, I will attest I will swear that Judge Angoron had more information and more preparation to rule on the summary judgments before him than probably any other uh, su uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, Supreme Court judge in the New York uh, court system. He just he's just been uh, schooled and learned learned over the last year in the case. Period.
And so this is not a victory for Donald Trump, no matter yeah, how much yeah. Stephen Chung, his spokesperson, or, or Alina Haba on some right-wing news channel is going to spin it. Um, he's on the losing end. That's why he dismissed the Cohen case to avoid the deposition this weekend. Mm -hmm. And that's why he just dismissed the Article 78. Lost he'll dismiss, Trump. he'll deny, he'll settle, he'll run, he'll avoid, he'll do everything but have success in the courtroom. We'll continue to follow that here, wow. one place, exclusively on the Midas Touch YouTube channel. That's where I do my work at least when I'm not being a practicing right. lawyer for the last 32 years. And then on Wednesdays and Saturdays, we pull it all together with a podcast we call... Legal AF. Yes, it's exactly what you think. That's on Wednesdays and Saturdays on this YouTube network. It's great watching the Diaper Dawn on the run. Diaper Dawn on the run. Until my next legal AF. This is my. Rages and Fleas Town. Trump and World of Hurt after persistent fraud exposed. Ah. Desperate Trump begs judge for help and makes a total fool out of himself. Donald Trump gives up and surrenders to Michael Cohen. My Saturday morning rituals, a mood Delta 9 gummy. Nothing can ruin my mood. Ah! I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Donald Trump filed multiple motions to dismiss indictments in various jurisdictions uh -huh. on Thursday. Let me break down the frivolous motion to dismiss the indictment in the Washington, D.C. case being prosecuted by Special Jack Smith for Donald Yay. Trump's attempt to overthrow the Fucker. free and fair election of 2020. Donald Trump filed been, a motion to dismiss the indictment ago, on Thursday, arguing that based on presidential immunity, he's allowed to overthrow our democracy. And one of the most absurd arguments that he made in his brief is that the uh, failure to be convicted by the Senate at the impeachment proceedings gives him immunity from criminal charges. Well, Republican Senator Mitch McConnell may find that interesting because McConnell said that by the Republicans giving Trump a reprieve and acquitting him when he absolutely shouldn't, McConnell says that the sole remedy should be in the criminal case. Play this clip of Mitch McConnell. While former officials were not eligible for impeachment or conviction, they were, and this is extremely important, still liable to be tried and punished in the ordinary tribunals of justice. Put another way, in the language of today, President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office <laughs> as an ordinary citizen. <laughs> Unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he's in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yeah. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. He ain't in fucking jail. Former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. 
Back to Donald Trump's frivolous brief. Donald Trump starts off by calling himself the president, which he is not, and he moves to dismiss the indictment. This case is set for trial, folks, the first week of March in 2024. Donald Trump's going to have to show up each and every single day. We saw, for example, in the New York Civil Broadcast, Donald Trump was unable to control himself in a court of law for even two and a half days. But here, Donald Trump's lawyers make the following argument. I want you to see how specious and frivolous their argument is. They argue, the President of the United States sits at the heart of our system of government. He is our nation's leader, our head of state, and our head of government. As such, the founders tasked the President and the President alone with the sacred obligation of taking care that the laws be faithfully executed. United States Constitution, Article 2, Section 8. Pause right there. I don't think our founders wanted somebody like Donald Trump, number one, or certainly someone who led an insurrection to overthrow our democracy, someone who's called for the execution of our top military general, now former top military general Mark Milley, somebody who praises our enemies, who wants to destroy our alliances, who releases music with the insurrectionists, somebody who tries to overthrow our democracy each and every day. Let's go on. To ensure the president may serve unhesitatingly without fear that his political opponents may one day prosecute him for decisions they dislike, the law provides immunity for acts within the outer perimeter of the president's official responsibility. So they're arguing insurrections fall within the outer perimeter because they argue that this would... Uh, this would uh, freeze the president from engaging in future insurrections if they knew that they could be criminally prosecuted for their insurrections. They argue that insurrections are within the outer perimeter of yeah, the president's Can you believe what they're arguing here? And then it goes, breaking 234 years of precedent, the incumbent administration has charged President Trump for acts that lie not just within the outer perimeter, but at the heart of his official responsibilities as president. Number one, again, you are not the president, and at the heart of your responsibilities is not after you lose an election, as part of your campaign pack activity, you throw an event where you lead an insurrection. This has nothing to do with presidential duties at all, and you want me to prove it to you in another way, using Donald Trump's strategy in another case to prove it. I could prove it in every which way, which is just we could observe with our eyes what the insurrection was, and that clearly that's not part of what the roles and responsibilities are of a former president. But if indeed, Donald Trump, you believe that this was at the heart of your presidential duties, why then, in connection with the uh, Fulton County District Attorney case brought by Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis, then why wouldn't you remove it to federal court? Because your argument there would be that if you believe this was at the heart of your responsibilities, I thought you wanted to testify. I thought you were a tough guy. I thought you were a strong guy. 
I thought you would testify, right? I mean, and, and go to the federal judge and say, look, this is at the heart of my responsibilities. But no, you are a coward. You were so cowardly that you dismissed the case that you filed against Michael Cohen because you wouldn't sit for a deposition. I did a video hit on that as well. Good health starts with good habits. Oh, Quip no. makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to take care of your mouth. The Quip you having trouble paying for health care, rent, gas, groceries, and other bills, then you've got to see this. The government is basically giving me $1,350 in premium credits every single month just because I'm under 65 and make less than $50,000 per year. Everyone with a Social Security number can qualify to get up to $1,400 in benefits by the United States. Good health starts with good habits. Quip you to a debt be without them slash Midas, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Midas. Quip, the good habits company. And right here, you're making this argument at the heart of the responsibilities of the president is an insurrection. It's so utterly offensive what he's saying right there. You go into the legal arguments that he makes. It says the president has absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for actions performed within the outer perimeter of his official responsibility. And then they cite the Fitzgerald case, which says, quote, in view of the special nature of the president's constitutional office and functions, a current or former president has absolute presidential immunity from civil damages liability for acts within the outer perimeter of his official responsibility. By the way, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal, the D.C. federal judge, Amit Mehta, they've already ruled on this in the civil context, <laughs> that, the conduct, that the conduct at issue falls outside, even within the outside perimeter of what the duties are. As Judge Mehta said, this had nothing to do with the roles of a president. And two, it would make no sense for you to argue conduct falls within the outer limits of a constitutional perimeter where your underlying objectives are to overthrow our Constitution. You can't invoke constitutional immunity Protection. in a document you are trying to clearly destroy. It would just make no sense. You want then, to terminate uh, the Constitution, a argument, no the more. doctrine of separation of powers and the president's present. unique role Already. in our constitutional structure require immunity from criminal prosecution. So here Donald Trump argues he shouldn't be prosecuted at all for his conduct. B, you just commit crimes. Presidents can do anything they want to do. Commit crimes, overthrow democracy, lead a fascist revolution against America. But <laughs> it's fine within Article 2. It's clearly false. B, impeachment and conviction by the Senate provide the exclusive method of proceeding against a president for crimes in office. It's false. 234 years of history and tradition support presidential immunity. Yeah? 234 years of history, we didn't have a despicable, traitorous, treasonous piece of crap like you who tried to overthrow our democracy in clear and present view of all of us. Think about just how he uses our great constitution to try Against to us. justify the destruction of our constitution. Malignant, narcissistic, abusive behavior by someone who hates this country. Let's be clear. Donald Trump hates America and wants to destroy our country. And it's so important yeah. we push back against his dangerous views like this. 
Without immunity, this is his argument. Without immunity, the president would be harassed by vexatious actions. Okay, vexatious actions are what you file against people. You've been labeled the vexatious litigant by multiple federal judges now. You're the vexatious litigant. Not giving a criminal immunity will not lead to vexatious actions. It will lead to accountability. <laughs> then it goes on to just whine more about the same stuff I've just said. Folks, Judge Tanya Chutkin is going to reject, reject this. This is instantly dead on arrival when it's filed. But I wanted to go through it with you just so you can see how frivolous it is and look at the arguments. Folks, it is so important, so important that we hold this individual accountable and all those who aid and abet him. I'm Ben Micellas from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Have a fantastic day. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Super duper. Super duper. Story news. Two sixteen subscribers, one person unsubscribed. Diaper on. Okay, so I'm posting this on YouTube. Let me get some subscribers. Yay, speed. Okay. Trump and World of Heart after persistent fraud exposed. Thanks for 266K. It's not by the hard way. to lose. Do you have any familiarity with an acronym GAAP? G-A-A-P? Generally accepted accounting principles, yes. Okay. How did you become familiar with that acronym? Probably an accounting 101 at Wharton. <laughs> okay. Um, what do they teach you about generally accepted accounting principles in Wharton? Uh, well, I'm not an legacy accountant, admission. but that they are generally accepted. <laughs> Anything else? That's that's pretty much what I remember from accounting 101. So. <laughs>
<laughs> Have you told me everything you know about tap? <laughs> uh, basically. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure I could come up with some creative uh, stuff to kill time, but I'd be doing neither of us a favor in terms of educating ourselves. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. When one of your sons who runs the company doesn't understand the fundamentals of how to account for your financial statements, yeah, your fraud case power. is probably not going well after day one. <laughs> That's Donald Trump's son, Don Jr., in case you couldn't recognize him, testifying in a deposition, which is sworn statements under oath as if you're in a courtroom, that um, he doesn't understand how generally accepted accounting principles work, which is a concept Yes, you learn in Accounting 101, but generally, if you're running a company in any state, including in New York, you fundamentally have to understand, including in order to supervise other control officers in your organization, like your chief financial officer and your controller and your outside auditors and your outside accountants, you can't be a dummy and not understand these principles if you're, if you're a control officer helping to run a company. Unless you're just playing daddy's little company runner, if you're not really running it. But if you're running it like Don Jr. and Eric, Eric, Eric Trump claim that they are, you have to understand these principles. You just saw that he doesn't. That was played in the courtroom and will become in his evidence already in front of Judge Ngoron in the New York Attorney General's um, mega <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollar case against Donald Trump and all the Trumpers. Let me talk about what we learned on the first day from my perspective perspective as a 32-year trial lawyer, including in courtrooms, just like the ones I'm going to talk about next. Things that I picked up that I think are very interesting and are the focus here. For example, let's talk about the amount that the New York Attorney General is seeking by way of disgorgement. That's a fine of a certain equitable nature I'm going to talk about in this hot take. And where she's coming up with the numbers that I picked up from Kevin Wallace, the senior lawyer for the New York Attorney General, whose, whose title is Senior Enforcement Counsel for the Division of Economic Justice for the New York Attorney General. Just listen to that sweet ring of that. Economic justice is what's being sought here. Not a vendetta, not a political witch hunt, not an election interference, but economic justice. And Kevin Wallace told the judge, I almost said the jury, but there's no jury because we know why. Alina Haba screwed that up, so there's only, there's only a bench trial. Um, and Judge Angoron, who's already ruled last week, it's good, to, it's good when you know when you go into a courtroom like I have. It's good to know where the judge's head is at. Where this judge's head is at, he's already found persistent fraud, as that term is used uh -huh. in New York, has, has already been found on the undisputed factual record that Donald Trump committed persistent fraud related to the scheme to overinflate his assets in order to do many things, including to be on the top of the Forbes list and deflate his assets in order to save on taxes, inflate his, his net assets and his individual asset classes in order to raise persistent money fraud. from uh, banks to over, to over loan him money, give him more money than he's entitled to, with hidden risk they didn't know about, and the like. And so I want to talk about the dollars that are involved here and why this isn't a victimless fraud and why Donald Trump's defenses on that area, which are showing that there was no intent to defraud and that there was no fraud, will fall and fail. Here's why. Let's start with the, what the opening statements were all about. Besides putting up that... Um, the, the people are asleep 
the wolf, the wolf is in the chicken house and somebody's asleep at the switch at the Trump organization, namely Don Jr., who doesn't know how to supervise accountants and auditors, internal or external, because he doesn't understand how accounting works, right? He doesn't understand how basic math works and what is GAAP, which is the requirement that, and Donald Trump signed, actually signed his name to the fraud because he signed the Donald J. Trump attests that the financials, his, his financial statements, right? His uh, statements of financial conditions are true and in accord with, with uh, generally accepted accounting principles and auditing principles. GAAP, G-A-A-P. There you go. What happens it. when you just sign and up so on stuff? Kevin Wallace got up and said that because of the way the fraud operated, Donald Trump was able to make himself into a multi-billionaire borrow more money than he was entitled to, than anybody would be entitled to from banks. Banks took on hidden risk, didn't charge enough an interest rate to compensate for it, left themselves exposed if this whole financial house of cards had fallen. Over insurance, more insurance than you're entitled to because the property's not worth what you said it was going to worth, meaning if there was a loss, casualty loss, building burnt down, whatever, then the insurance company would be overpaying, paying out, and they charge lower premiums because they thought that they were properly collateralized with assets. That's the nature of the underlying fraud. Now, let me say something that I haven't heard a lot of commentators say. And this comes from my 32 years of practicing law, including in New York, and watching Donald Trump, and knowing people that know Donald Trump. Donald Trump, underneath it all, underneath the fraud, there's a moderately successful real estate management and real estate licensing company. I would not stretch and call them a developer. He really doesn't develop property. He buys over leverages, taking out other people's money, banks, and investors, not usually his own, to buy trophy buildings and then hope that the market catches up to them or increases and he can finance his way out of the situation. He doesn't really build. He more licenses his name on buildings that bear his name. People used to want to be in business with him because when he, when he was more a marginally a successful guy, he just like, you know, Paris Hilton or... You know, the Jenners or the Kardashians. He was just like a name that had no real reason why people are so excited by the name before he ran for office. And they would want their name. They want to put John. Brass and gold letters on their building that said his name. So underneath it all, the business he inherited from his father, Fred that develop property primarily in Queens, not in Manhattan, and the so, properties he's associated with as a licensor and property manager and uh, and uh, manager of, of different properties is marginally successful. He'd probably be a... Several hundred millionaire. But Donald Trump didn't want to be a several hundred millionaire. I mean, one of the reasons he took The Apprentice, everybody talks about the celebrity apprentice, including Alina Haba in her opening statements for Donald Trump, is because he was sort of a little bit on the balls of his, his backside, I almost said his ass, uh, in his finances and needed something to pump up the brand. I mean, no successful name, name, uh, I'll give you time here on the hot take. Name a truly successful multi-billion dollar developer, and I can name five of them off the top of my head, including the people that run the related group, 
that uh, would agree in the prime of their development career to host a show called The Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice for money. Okay, I've given you enough time. The answer is none. There was a reason he did that. After he came off of three bankruptcies in 15 or 20 years, including bankrupting a casino, which is unheard of. There's so much money in running a casino that he could find a way to fail at that. He needed to take that job. But underneath it, by the time the 90s turned into, turned into the 2000s, he was a moderately successful real estate property manager, licensor of name. I, I, I struggle to call him a developer because I'm hard-pressed to think of a building he actually took out the construction loans for and moved from first stage, second stage, third stage, topper, and built. That has his name on it. If his name's on a building... It doesn't mean he developed it. It means he licensed his name for the building. He may be having a management role in that, and he used other people's money fraudulently, as we've now found out, because when he needed money, he went to banks with fraudulent financial statements. There's the crime, crime on the market, fraud on the market. And so because he wasn't successful and his avarice and greed motivated him and his family and their spending habits to try to pump up those numbers and take it from the banks. He couldn't bring it in himself through his own hard work, so he needed to go get bank loans. So he'd rather go to a bank and say, I'm a $3 billion guy than a $100 million guy because he can get more money at lower interest rates, maybe without even having to sign a personal guarantee to back the loan. You know, They'll give him that um, value or benefit. And all of those things that he's getting as value or benefit are part of the money that the New York Attorney General is trying to rip away from him in the form of a unique fine that we call disgorgement, which is equitable in nature, meaning the judge who's a law, a judge in law and equity, can make a decision to fashion a remedy that doesn't have anything to do with damages or dollars, has to do with taking away all of the ill-gotten gains, money that should not have been generated through a fraud, that are lining somebody's pockets, and giving them over to, in this case, the state and a public victim's compensation fund. That's disgorgement. That's what the New York Attorney General is seeking. Not victim restitution. Victim restitution is a criminal concept, generally an equitable criminal concept, where the uh, a criminal convicted has to repay through restitution victims of his crime. That's separate from damages, which is a legal concept generally in civil matters, not criminal, where you have to pay for the, what you've done to damage or injure the other person, either economically, emotionally, reputationally, or the like. And that's damages. So E. Jean Carroll, sex abuse, sexual rape case that she won against Donald Trump with defamation, punitive damages, that's damages. This is disgorgement, taking away the money that you should not have earned because of your fraudulent scheme and turning that over to the public coffers. That's what this is about. And Kevin Wallace said in his openings, in outlining all of the frauds, is that the balance sheet for Donald Trump was hyperinflated, overinflated, fraudulently inflated, over $3 billion. That allowed him to take on bank loans at favorable interest rates, take out more money than he was entitled to, and continue to invest this on this Ponzi scheme to over $100 million alone. Plus, they're going to put on numbers about the premiums for insurance that he saved over 
over a long period of time, and the interest rate savings. When you add all that up, we start getting up to that $250 million disgorgement number plus interest. That number could pump up to about $400 million by the time we're done under New York's interest statutes. And that's the focus. So it's, you know, the thing I, wanted, I want you to take away from this is that it's not a victimless. You'll hear a lot from Donald Trump's lackeys and proxies in the courtroom and when he's out on the eating Wendy's on the courthouse steps. But there's no victims here. Chris Keis said in his opening, the lawyer for Donald Trump, there was no intent to defraud. I have another hot take about the intent element. That there was no reliance by the banks, no victims, no unjust profits that need to be disgorged. All that is wrong. All that the New York Attorney General will ultimately prove in three to five months of trial with her 34 witnesses and all of her evidence. And we've talked about that it isn't victimless. Banks have a limited amount of money to lend. It has to do with banking regulations and the former failure of the banks in the 0809 time period. And so there's limited money. And they have to take in sufficient assets because they're fiduciaries and stewards of their investors and depositors' money and for the banking system as a whole. They have to be properly collateralized. If they give you a $300 million loan, they've got to have 400 or $500 million in real assets underneath it, not made-up numbers like Donald Trump saying a building is worth $500 million when it's worth $50 million, or Mar-a-Lago is worth you know, um, hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars when it's not. Real money has to be, real collateral has to be back in that. Or you have victimized the bank, who now has taken a risk they didn't know they were taking, charging you a lower interest rate, maybe letting Donald Trump out of personal guarantees and the insurance companies, and so on and so on. And that's the fraud. And every dollar that Donald Trump borrowed from a bank was one less dollar that somebody right behind him in line at the bank could borrow, whether it be a small mom and pop shop or you know somebody that really needed the money or somebody that could really borrow the money and had a proper balance sheet and was being cheated now by the guy in front of him who was over-borrowing with money that he didn't have and assets he didn't have. He didn't have these assets. When you say inflated assets, it's the same as saying he didn't have these assets. He lied about it. It would be no different in terms of effect in the fraud that if instead of just hyperinflating the numbers of assets he actually owned, he just listed fake and phantom assets. He just put down, I also own a building in Albuquerque, New Mexico that's worth $100 million, and here's the address, and there's like a vacant lot of land there. He, that would have been the same, right? That would, have been, that would have showed real intent because he's listing fake assets. It would have been easier for the New York Attorney General to make out, but this is no, no harder. And she'll do it over the next three to five months in these kind of openings. I'm going to do hot takes like this one about the trial and aspects of the trial as it happens one place, the Midas Touch Network. You can catch me at the intersection of law, politics, and justice exclusively right here. On Wednesdays and Saturdays, I co-founded and co-anchor the leading podcast at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. We call it Legal AF. Yes, it's what you think. I do it with another co-anchor. Wednesdays, it's... Corrupted three casinos. And. <laughs> Yeah.
Here's the bankruptcy. Saturdays, you can watch us live on YouTube on a free subscription. And then you can pick it up on podcast uh, audio platform. But as a licensor and property manager, and the emotionally, reputationally, or the fraud on aligning somebody's pockets and giving them over to, in this case, the state in a public victim's compensation fund. That's the tweet that. That's what the New York Donald Jackass Trump is the bankruptcy king. LOL. You believe that? He sold his daddy's real estate and piped right out million and That's still went bankrupt six times. Not victim restitution. Victim restitution is a criminal concept, generally an equitable criminal concept, where the uh, a criminal convicted has to repay through restitution victims of his crime. That's separate from damages, which is a legal concept, generally in civil matters, not criminal where you have to pay for the, what you've done to damage or injure the other person, either economically, emotionally, reputationally, or the like. And that's damages. So, E.G. Carroll, sex abuse, sexual rape, all of the ill-gotten gains, that $100 Seize all of his ill-gotten gains. At lower interest rates. Maybe without even having to sign a personal guarantee. <clears throat> you know, they'll give him that. Um, value or benefit. And all of those things that he's getting as value or benefit are part of the money that the New York Attorney General is trying to rip away from him in the form of a unique find that we call disgorgement, which is equitable in nature, meaning the judge who's a law, a judge in law and equity can make a decision to fashion a remedy that doesn't have anything to do with damages or dollars, has to do with taking away all of the ill-gotten gains, money that should not have been generated through a fraud, that are lining somebody's pockets and giving them over to, in this case, the state in a public victim's compensation fund. That's disgorgement. That's what the New York Attorney General is seeking. Not victim restitution. Victim restitution is a criminal concept, generally an equitable criminal concept, where the uh, a criminal convicted has to repay <laughs> the restitution victims of his crime. That's separate from damages, which is a legal concept. Post this on Facebook. Generally, in civil matters, not criminal, where you have to pay for the, what you've done. Thank <laughs> you.
Okay, so <clears throat> what kind of music should have? Living easy, living free. Uh, I just touch my just uh, Popak. See if if he will collaborate with me. That would be cool. He's my friend. He's my friend. <coughs> He's my friend. My just touch. And uh. Uh, young dumbs, you are very young Democrats. Easy young dumbs. Education Caucus. Hillary Clinton calls for formal deprogramming of MAGA cult members. That's my little contribution. <clears throat> I think I'm gonna make a little TikTok out of this one. Oh shit. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, um, Trump's getting slaughtered in the courts. <laughs> The news organizations are trying to, are um, asking the judges to televise the proceedings. Haha. <laughs> and he's gonna be cross-examined. Haha. Uh -huh. Trump holds. He gave up that five hundred million. Um, this credit card Cohen. has an interest rate that's really, really low. How low? This low. The credit card that's in your wallet right now. Michael Popak, Legal AF. Donald Trump's on the run. This yeah. is now his second 
case that he is dismissed because he's going to be on the losing end of whatever motion or lawsuit he has filed. He's now just today dismissed through a stipulation with the New York Attorney General the suit that he brought under an arcane set of statutes in New York, Article 78, to sue the trial judge in his fraud case, Judge Angoron, directly to try to apparently, according to the seven, Article 78 petition that was filed, in order to get the appellate court, who is ultimately the bosses for the trial judge, in this case, the first department appellate division that sits in Manhattan, to stop the judge from ruling on the motion for summary judgment that was pending filed mm -hmm. by the office of uh, attorney general letitia james to try to have the court without a trial rule that there was a persistent fraud and mm -hmm. that there should be remedies related to that persistent and so they ran to, to uh, they ran to um, the appellate division with an article 78 petition suing judge angoron mm -hmm. i've been doing this 32 years you don't sue the judge i'll just leave sure. it at that um, making the argument that no, oh, please make him stop. Don't don't let him rule on the uh, the summary judgment. It, it, you tell him he's got to look at things and papers over the next three weeks. And uh, we don't think he's going to rule appropriately. And we have that fear. Please stop it. This is not grounds for an Article seventy eight. You know your fear that the judge may do something. The judge, um, you think the judge needs more time to do something. You know if you think he made an error and it's reversible, you take an appeal. Short of that, you don't take a pre-appeal. You don't anticipate your, your argument. And so the, the uh, appellate division sort of ignored the petition, to be frank. They didn't set oral argument. They didn't take it up on an emergency basis. They didn't set a briefing schedule. It's really just been sitting there in, in an embarrassing fashion for the lawyers for Donald Trump. He could have done a lot of other things. I'll talk about him on another hot take. File a motion for stay with the trial judge. File a motion for stay with on an emergency basis with the appellate court. But Article 78, sue your judge. And so um, they sort of figured out that that is dead on arrival. Um, and they should probably put their eggs in another uh, basket. And so today we get a filing. Now, it's not just a unilateral stipulation by one party. It's a joint stipulation. Office of Attorney General signature on one side, Donald Trump on the other. We'll put it up on the screen here. And what that means is that the parties have agreed. In other words, the OAG won't seek fees and costs as it relates to this dismissal because she just wants the case dismissed and get rid of it. One less thing for her to have to deal with. Um, and so it says in there, very interesting, they want to give themselves some cover as if there was some procedural reason that they dismissed it, not because they're running scared. And so as cover for the running scared um, narrative, which is true, they put it a part in there that's not true. It's technically true, but mm -hmm. not something that matters. And the New York Attorney General, I'm sure, who negotiated over and labored over the wordsmithing of this document was like, who cares? Write what you want as long as it's accurate. The part that they wrote to give themselves a fig leaf or cover is that uh, Judge Angoron did not appear in the proceeding. And therefore, since he did not appear in the proceeding, dot, 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 we're dismissing it. Okay. <laughs> That's a complete misstatement of the statute. The statute does provide that the trial judge who has been sued under Article 78 does not have to appear. And if he doesn't appear, two things happen. One, he is bound by whatever rulings the appellate court makes. That's okay. I'm sure Judge Angoron placed his fate in the hands of five justices of the um, of the appellate division. That's fine. A lot of them were his friends. Some served with him in the in the uh, trial court level. I don't think he cared about that. Um, and um, he's and everything that uh, is in the petition is automatically deemed deemed denied. 
boxing streaming services, that exercise app to show oh, your no. friends you bike 20 miles in the rain, and your hometown newspaper for that one. That's why I'm such a huge fan of lower your bills things. Easily can't. Rocket Money, Rocket Money also let reach your spending limits with over 3 million subscriptions and manage your money.com slash legal AF. And so Judge Ed Gordon was okay for that. He didn't need to have lawyers for the court system appear and defend him, file papers. He knew the New York Attorney General was going to properly litigate that case for him. Um, and so it really was a non-issue. No one ever thought that Judge Angoron was going to, quote-unquote, appear in the case. And he didn't. But they cited that in the stipulation. Aha! Judge Angoron didn't appear. Because you know they're going to go on social media and say, Angoron was a coward. He didn't appear. He was afraid of our suit. And therefore mm -hmm. we dismissed it. See, this doesn't make any sense. That's why we have to call it out here on the Midas Touch Network on Legal AF. Because he'll get away with to the uninitiated, he'll get away with arguing, I won, Judge Angoron didn't appear, so I dismissed Crazy. it. Makes no sense, not logical, it's not coherent, it doesn't track, but that's what he'll argue. But what really happened uh, is, he knew he was on the losing end of an Article evil, 78 man. attempt to take a shot at the judge, and because all of the relief he was seeking by the, by the um, appellate oh, division has already boss. been mooted, right, because uh, the judge took action. By the time he got around to filing the Article 78, a few days later, the judge ruled against him on the summary judgment and found as a matter of law that there was persistent fraud forever in the operation, or at least for the statute of limitations period of, of six years, in the, in the operation of all Trump businesses by Trump executives, including those that have his last name and his face. So there was nothing left for the appellate court to do. The judge had already ruled on summary judgment three days later. He's been handling this case for over a year. He knew the facts in and out. There were dozens of hearings. There were dozens of deposition transcripts that he's read or video depositions that he's seen. There's nobody more prepared to rule on a motion for summary judgment than this judge in Goron. I practice regularly in, in the New York Supreme Court, which is the trial level court. Um, I regularly practice where we're, where there's summary judgment issues up for grabs. I will I will attest, I will swear that Judge Angoron had more information and more preparation to rule on the summary judgments before him than probably any other uh, su uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, Supreme Court judge in the New York uh, court system. He just he's just been uh, schooled and learned learned over the last year in the case. Period. And so this is not a victory for Donald Trump, no matter yeah. how much Stephen Chung, his spokesperson, or, or Alina Haba on some right-wing news channel is going to spin it. Um, he's on the losing end. That's why he dismissed the Cohen case to avoid the deposition this weekend. Mm -hmm. And that's why he just dismissed the Article 78. Lost he'll dismiss, Trump. he'll deny, he'll settle, he'll run, he'll avoid, he'll do everything but have success in the courtroom. We'll continue to follow that here. Wow one place exclusively on the Midas Touch YouTube channel. That's where I do my work, at least when I'm not being a practicing right. lawyer for the last 32 years. And then on Wednesdays and Saturdays, we pull it all together with a podcast we call Legal AF. Yes, it's exactly what you think. 
That's on Wednesdays and Saturdays on this YouTube network. It's great watching the diaper dawn on the run. Diaper dawn on the run. Until my next legal AF. This is my. Rages and Fleas Town. Jumping World of Hurt after persistent fraud exposed. Ah. Desperate Trump begs judge for help and makes a total fool out of himself. Donald Trump gives up and surrenders to Michael Cohen. Okay. My Saturday morning rituals, a mood Delta 9 gummy. Nothing can ruin my mood. Ah! I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Donald Trump filed multiple motions to dismiss indictments in various jurisdictions <laughs> on Thursday. Let me break down the right. frivolous motion to dismiss the indictment in the Washington, D.C. case being prosecuted by Special Counsel Jack Smith for Donald Yay. Trump's attempt to overthrow the Fucker. free and fair election of 2020. Donald Trump filed been, a motion to dismiss the indictment ago, on Thursday, arguing that based on presidential immunity, he's allowed to overthrow our democracy. And one of the most absurd arguments that he made in his brief is that the uh, failure to be convicted by the Senate at the impeachment proceedings gives him immunity from criminal charges. Well, <laughs> Republican Senator Mitch McConnell may find that interesting because McConnell said that by the Republicans giving Trump a reprieve and acquitting him when he absolutely shouldn't, McConnell says that the sole remedy should be in the criminal case. Play this clip of Mitch McConnell. While former officials were not eligible for impeachment or conviction, they were, and this is extremely important, still liable to be tried and punished in the ordinary tribunals of justice. Put another way, in the language of today, President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office <laughs> as an ordinary citizen, <laughs> unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he's in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yeah. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. Back to Donald Trump's frivolous brief. Donald Trump starts off by calling himself the president, which he is not, and he moves to dismiss the indictment. This case is set for trial, folks, the first week of March in 2024. Donald Trump's going to have to show up each and every single day. We saw, for example, in the New York Civil Broadcast, Donald Trump was unable to control himself in a court of law for even two and a half days. But here, Donald Trump's lawyers make the following argument. I want you to see how specious and frivolous their argument is. They argue, the President of the United States sits at the heart of our system of government. He is our nation's leader, our head of state, and our head of government. As such, the founders tasked the President and the President alone with the sacred obligation of taking care that the laws be faithfully executed. United States Constitution, Article 2, Section 2. Pause right there. 
And I don't think our founders wanted somebody like Donald Trump, number one, or certainly someone who led an insurrection to overthrow our democracy, someone who's called for the execution of our top military general, now former top military general, Mark Milley, somebody who praises our enemies, who wants to destroy our alliances, who releases music with the insurrectionists, somebody who tries to overthrow our democracy each and the day. Let's go on. To ensure the president may serve unhesitatingly without fear that his political opponents may one day prosecute him for decisions they dislike, the law provides immunity for acts within the outer perimeter of the president's official responsibility. So they're arguing insurrections fall within the outer perimeter because they argue that this would... Uh, this would uh, freeze the president from engaging in future insurrections if they knew that they could be criminally prosecuted for their insurrections. They argue that insurrections are within the outer perimeter of yeah, the president's reasons. Can you believe what they're arguing here? And then it goes, breaking 234 years of precedent, the incumbent administration has charged President Trump for acts that lie not just within the outer perimeter, but at the heart of his official responsibilities as president. Number one, again, you are not the president, and at the heart of your responsibilities is not after you lose an election, as part of your campaign pack activity, you throw an event where you lead an insurrection. This has nothing to do with presidential duties at all, and you want me to prove it to you in another way, using Donald Trump's strategy in another case to prove it. I could prove it in every which way, which is just we could observe with our eyes what the insurrection was, and that clearly that's not part of what the roles and responsibilities are of a former president. But if indeed, Donald Trump, you believe that this was at the heart of your presidential duties, why then, in connection with the uh, Fulton County District Attorney case brought by Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis, then why wouldn't you remove it to federal court? Because your argument there would be that if you believe this was at the heart of your responsibilities, I thought you wanted to testify. I thought you were a tough guy. I thought you were a strong guy. I thought you would testify, right? I mean, and, and go to the federal judge and say, look, this is at the heart of my responsibilities. But no, you are a coward. You were so cowardly that you dismissed the case that you filed against Michael Cohen because you wouldn't sit for a deposition. I did a video hit on that as well. Good health starts with good habits. Oh, Quip no. makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to take care of your mouth. The Quip you having trouble paying for health care, rent, gas, groceries, and other bills, then you've got to see this. The government is basically giving me $1,350 in premium credits every single month just because I'm under 65 and make less than $50,000 per year. Everyone with a social security number can qualify to get up to $1,400 in benefits by the United States. Good health starts with good habits. Quip due to a debt so be without them slash Midas, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Midas. Quip, the good habits company. And right here, you're making this argument at the heart of the responsibilities of the president is an insurrection. It's so utterly offensive what he's saying right there. 
you go into the legal arguments that he makes, it says the president has absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for actions performed within the outer perimeter of his official responsibility. And then they cite the Fitzgerald case, which says, quote, in view of the special nature of the president's constitutional office and functions, a current or former president has absolute presidential immunity from civil damages liability for acts within the outer perimeter of his official responsibility. By the way, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal, the D.C. Federal Judge Amit Mehta, they've already ruled on this in the civil context, that the conduct, that the conduct at issue falls outside, even within the outside perimeter of what the duties are. As Judge Mehta said, this had nothing to do with the roles of a president. And two, it would make no sense for you to argue conduct falls within the outer limits of a constitutional perimeter where your underlying objectives are to overthrow our Constitution. You can't invoke constitutional immunity Protection. in a document you are trying to clearly destroy. It would just make no sense. He wants then, to terminate uh, the Constitution. A argument, the doctrine of separation of powers and the president's prison. unique role Alrighty. in our constitutional structure require immunity from criminal prosecution. So here Donald Trump argues he shouldn't be prosecuted at all for his conduct. B, you could just commit crimes. Presidents can do anything they want to do. Commit crimes, overthrow democracy, lead a fascist revolution against America. But <laughs> it's fine within Article 2. It's clearly false. B, impeachment and conviction by the Senate provide the exclusive method of proceeding against a president for crimes in office. It's false. 234 years of history and tradition support presidential immunity. Yeah? 234 years of history, we didn't have a despicable, traitorous, treasonous piece of crap like you who tried to overthrow our democracy in clear and present view of all of us. Think about just how he uses our great constitution to try Against to us. justify the destruction of our constitution. Malignant, narcissistic, abusive behavior by someone who hates this country. Let's be clear. Donald Trump hates America and wants to destroy our country. And it's so important yeah. we push back against his dangerous views like this. Without immunity, clear. this is his argument. Without immunity, the president would be harassed by vexatious actions. Okay, vexatious actions are what you file against people. You've been labeled the vexatious litigant by multiple federal judges now. You're the vexatious litigant. Uh -huh. Not giving a criminal immunity will not lead to vexatious actions. It will lead to accountability. <laughs> then it goes on to just whine more about the same stuff I've just said. Folks, Judge Tanya Chutkin is going to reject, reject this. This is instantly dead on arrival when it's filed. But I wanted to go through it with you just so you can see how frivolous it is and look at the arguments. Folks, it is so important, so important that we hold this individual accountable and all those who aid and abet him. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit Good subscribe. Job, We're on our way to 2 million Brother subscribers ben. thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Have a fantastic day.
At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Super duper. Story news. Story news. <laughs> Two sixteen subscribers, one person unsubscribed. Diaper done. Okay, so I'm posting this on YouTube. Let me get some subscribers. Yay, speed. Okay. Trump and World of Heart after persistent fraud exposed. Thanks for 266K. It's not by the hard way. to lose. Do you have any familiarity with an acronym GAAP? G A A P? Generally accepted accounting principles, yes. Okay. How did you become familiar with that acronym? Probably in Accounting 101 at Wharton. <laughs> okay. Um, legacy, what do they teach you about legacy. generally accepted accounting principles in Wharton? Uh, well, I'm not an accountant, legacy but that they are generally accepted. <laughs> Anything else? That's that's pretty much what I remember from accounting when I watched so. it. <laughs> Have you told me everything you know about GAP? <laughs> uh, basically, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure I could come up with some creative uh, uh, stuff to kill time, but I'd be doing neither of us a favor in terms of educating ourselves. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. When one of your sons who runs the company doesn't understand the fundamentals of how to account for your financial statements, yeah, your fraud case power. is probably not going well after day one. <laughs> That's Donald Trump's son, Don Jr., in case you couldn't recognize him, testifying in a deposition, which is sworn statements under oath as if you're in a courtroom, that um, he doesn't understand how generally accepted accounting principles work, which is a concept Yes, you learn in Accounting 101, but generally, if you're running a company in any state, including in New York, you fundamentally have to understand, including in order to supervise other control officers in your organization, like your chief financial officer and your controller and your outside auditors and your outside accountants, you can't be a dummy and not understand these principles if you're, if you're a control officer helping to run a company. Unless you're just playing daddy's little company runner, if you're not really running it. But if you're running it like Don Jr. and Eric, Eric, Eric Trump 
claim that they are. You have to understand these principles. You just saw that he doesn't. That was played in the courtroom and will become in his evidence already in front of Judge Angoron in the New York Attorney General's um, mega hundreds of millions of dollar case against Donald Trump and all the Trumpers. Let me talk about what we learned on the first day from my perspective perspective as a 32-year trial lawyer, including in courtrooms, just like the ones I'm going to talk about next. Things that I picked up that I think are very interesting and are the focus here. For example, let's talk about the amount that the New York Attorney General is seeking by way of disgorgement. That's a fine of a certain equitable nature I'm going to talk about in this hot take. And where she's coming up with the numbers that I picked up from Kevin Wallace, the senior lawyer for the New York Attorney General, whose, whose title is Senior Enforcement Counsel for the Division of Economic Justice for the New York Attorney General. Just listen to that sweet ring of that. Economic justice is what's being sought here. Not a vendetta, not a political witch hunt, not an election interference, but economic justice. And Kevin Wallace told the judge, I almost said the jury, but there's no jury because we know why. Alina Haba screwed that up, so there's only, there's only a bench trial. Um, and Judge Angoron, who's already ruled last week, it's good, to, it's good when you know when you go into a courtroom like I have. It's good to know where the judge's head is at. Where this judge's head is at, he's already found persistent fraud, as that term is used in New York, has, has already been found on the undisputed factual record that Donald Trump committed persistent fraud related to the scheme to overinflate his assets in order to do many things, including to be on the top of the Forbes list and deflate his assets in order to save on taxes, inflate his, his net assets and his individual asset classes in order to raise persistent money fraud. from uh, banks to, over, to over loan him money, give him more money than he's entitled to, with hidden risk they didn't know about, and the like. And so I want to talk about the dollars that are involved here and why this isn't a victimless fraud and why Donald Trump's defenses on that area, which are showing that there was no intent to defraud and that there was no fraud, will fall and fail. Here's why. Let's start with the what the opening statements were all about. Besides putting up that... Um, the, the people are asleep. The wolf, the wolf is in the chicken house, and somebody's asleep at the switch at the Trump Organization, namely Don Jr., who doesn't know how to supervise accountants and auditors, internal or external, because he doesn't understand how accounting works. Right? He doesn't understand how basic math works and what is GAP, which is the requirement that and Donald Trump signed actually signed his name to the fraud because he signed the Donald J. Trump attests that the financials, his, his financial statements, right? His uh, statements of financial conditions are true and in accord with, with uh, generally accepted accounting principles and auditing principles. GAP, G-A-A-P. There That's you have it. That's what happens when you just sign off so on stuff. Kevin Wallace got up and said that because him, of the way the fraud operated, Donald Trump was able to make himself into a multi-billionaire borrow more money than he was entitled to, than anybody would be entitled to from banks. Banks took on hidden risk, didn't charge enough an interest rate to compensate for it, left themselves exposed if this whole financial house of cards had fallen. Over insurance, more insurance than you're entitled to because the property's not worth what you said it was going to worth, meaning if there was a loss, casualty loss, building burnt down, whatever, then the insurance company would be overpaying, paying out, and they charged lower premiums because they thought that they were properly collateralized with assets. That's the nature of the underlying fraud. Now, let me say something that I haven't heard a lot of commentators say. 
And this comes from my 32 years of practicing law, including in New York, and watching Donald Trump, and knowing people that know Donald Trump. Donald Trump, underneath it all, underneath the fraud, there's a moderately successful real estate management and real estate licensing company. I would not stretch and call them a developer. He really doesn't develop property. He buys over leverages, taking out other people's money, banks and investors, not usually his own, to buy trophy buildings and then hope that the market catches up to them or increases and he can finance his way out of the situation. He doesn't really build. He more licenses his name on buildings that bear his name. People used to want to be in business with him because when he when he was more a marginally a successful guy, he just like, you know, Paris Hilton or, you know, the <laughs> Jenners or the Kardashians. He was just like a name that had no real reason why people are so excited by the name before he ran for office. And they would want their name. They want to put John. brass and gold letters on their building that said his name. So underneath it all, the business he inherited from his father, Fred, that developed property primarily in Queens, not in Manhattan, and the so properties he's associated with as a licensor and property manager and, uh, and uh, manager of, of different properties is marginally successful. He'd probably be a Several hundred millionaire. But Donald Trump didn't want to be a several hundred millionaire. I mean, one of the reasons he took The Apprentice, everybody talks about the celebrity apprentice, including Alina Haba in her opening statements for Donald Trump, is because he was sort of a little bit on the balls of his, his backside, I almost said his ass, uh, in his finances and needed something to pump up the brand. I mean, no successful name, name, uh, I'll give you time here on the hot take. Name a truly successful multi-billion dollar developer. And I can name five of them off the top of my head, including the people that run the related group, that uh, would agree in the prime of their development career to host a show called The Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice for money. Okay, I've given you enough time. The answer is none. There was a reason he did that. After he came off of three bankruptcies, in 15 or 20 years, including bankrupting a casino, which is unheard of. There's so much money in running a casino that he could find a way to fail. At that, he needed to take that job. But underneath it, by the time the 90s turned into, turned into the 2000s, he was a moderately successful real estate property manager, licensor of name. I, I, I struggle to call him a developer because I'm hard-pressed to think of a building he actually took out the construction loans for and moved from first stage, second stage, third stage, topper, and built. That has his name on it. If his name's on a building, it doesn't mean he developed it. It means he licensed his name for the building. He may be having a management role in that, and he used other people's money. Fraudulently, as we've now found out, because when he needed money, he went to banks with fraudulent financial statements. There's the crime. Crime on the market. Fraud on the market. And so... He, because he wasn't successful and his avarice and greed motivated him and his family and their spending habits to try to pump up those numbers and take it from the banks. He couldn't bring it in himself through his own hard work, so he needed to go get bank loans. 
So he'd rather go to a bank and say, I'm a $3 billion guy than a $100 million guy because he can get more money at lower interest rates, maybe without even having to sign a personal guarantee to back the loan. You know, they'll give him that um, value or benefit. And all of those things that he's getting as value or benefit are part of the money that the New York Attorney General is trying to rip away from him in the form of a unique fine that we call disgorgement, which is equitable in nature, meaning the judge who's a law, a judge in law and equity, can make a decision to fashion a remedy that doesn't have anything to do with damages or dollars, has to do with taking away all of the ill-gotten gains, money that should not have been generated through a fraud, that are lining somebody's pockets and giving them over to, in this case, the state and a public victim's compensation fund. That's disgorgement. That's what the New York Attorney General is seeking. Not victim restitution. Victim restitution is a criminal concept, generally, an equitable criminal concept where the uh, a criminal convicted has to repay through restitution victims of his crime. That's separate from damages, which is a legal concept generally in civil matters, not criminal, where you have to pay for the, what you've done to damage or injure the other person, either economically, emotionally, reputationally, or the like. And that's damages. So, E. Jean Carroll, sex abuse, sexual rape case that she won against Donald Trump with defamation, punitive damages, that's damages. This is disgorgement. Taking away the money that you should not have earned because of your fraudulent scheme and turning that over to the public coffers. That's what this is about. And Kevin Wallace said in his openings, in outlining all of the frauds, is that the balance sheet for Donald Trump was hyperinflated, overinflated, fraudulently inflated, over $3 billion. That allowed him to take on bank loans at favorable interest rates, take out more money than he was entitled to, and continue to invest this on this Ponzi scheme to over $100 million alone. Plus, they're going to put on numbers about the premiums for insurance that he saved over, over a long period of time and the interest rate savings. When you add all that up, we start getting up to that $250 million disgorgement number plus interest. That number could pump up to about $400 million by the time we're done under New York's interest statutes. And that's the focus. So it's, you know, the thing I, wanted, I want you to take away from this is that it's not a victimless, you'll hear a lot from Donald Trump's lackeys and proxies in the courtroom, and when he's out on the eating Wendy's on the courthouse steps, that there's no victims here. Chris Keis said in his opening, the lawyer for Donald Trump, there was no intent to defraud. I have another hot take about the intent element. That there was no reliance by the banks, no victims, no unjust profits that need to be disgorged. All that is wrong. All that the New York Attorney General will ultimately prove in three to five months of trial with her 34 witnesses and all of her evidence. And we've talked about that it isn't victimless. Banks have a limited amount of money to lend. It has to do with banking regulations and the former failure of the banks in the 08-09 time period. And so there's limited money. And they have to take in sufficient assets because they're fiduciaries and stewards of their investors and depositors' money and for the banking system as a whole. They have to be properly collateralized. If they give you a $300 million loan, they've got to have $400 or $500 million in real assets underneath it. Not made-up numbers, like Donald Trump saying a building is worth $500 million when it's worth $50 million. Or Mar-a-Lago is worth you know, um, hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars when it's not. 
real money has to be, real collateral has to be back in that. Or you have victimized the bank, who now has taken a risk they didn't know they were taking, charging you a lower interest rate, maybe letting Donald Trump out of personal guarantees in the insurance companies, and so on and so on. And that's the fraud. And every dollar that Donald Trump borrowed from a bank was one less dollar that somebody right behind him in line at the bank could borrow, whether it be a small mom-and-pop shop or you know somebody that really needed the money or somebody that could really borrow the money and had a proper balance sheet and was being cheated now by the guy in front of him who was over-borrowing with money that he didn't have and assets he didn't have. He didn't have these assets. When you say inflated assets, it's the same as saying he didn't have these assets. He lied about it. It would be no different in terms of effect in the fraud, that if instead of just hyperinflating the numbers of assets he actually owned, he just listed fake and phantom assets. He just put down, I also own a building in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's worth $100 million, and here's the address, and there's like a vacant lot of land there. He, that would have been the same, right? That would have been, that would have showed real intent, because he's listing fake assets, it would have been easier for the New York Attorney General to make out, but this is no, no harder. And she'll do it over the next three to five months in these kind of openings. I'm going to do hot takes like this one about the trial and aspects of the trial as it happens one place, the Midas Touch Network. You can catch me at the intersection of law, politics, and justice exclusively right here. On Wednesdays and Saturdays, I co-founded and co-anchor the leading podcast at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. We call it Legal AF. Yes, it's what you think. I do it with another co-anchor Wednesdays and Corrupted three casinos. And he's <laughs> the bankruptcy. You can watch us live on YouTube on a free subscription. And then you can pick it up on podcast uh, audio platform. As a licensor and property manager, and the emotionally, reputationally, or the fraud on aligning somebody's pockets and giving them over to, in this case, the state and a public victim's compensation fund. That's the tweet that. That's what the New York Donald Jackass Trump is the bankruptcy king. LOL. You believe that? He sold his daddy's real estate empire for 800 million and That's still went bankrupt six times. Not victim restitution. Victim restitution is a criminal concept, generally an equitable criminal concept, where the uh, a criminal convicted has to repay through restitution victims of his crime. That's separate from damages. 
which is a legal concept, generally in civil matters, not criminal, where you have to pay for the, what you've done to damage or injure the other person, either economically, emotionally, reputationally, or the like. And that's damages. So, E.G. Carroll, sex abuse, sexual rape, all of the ill-gotten gains at a hundred Seize all of his ill-gotten gains. At lower interest rates. Maybe without even having to sign a personal guarantee. <clears throat> you know, they'll give him that um, value or benefit. And all of those things that he's getting as value or benefit are part of the money that the New York Attorney General is trying to rip away from him in the form of a unique find that we call disgorgement, which is equitable in nature, meaning the judge who's a law, a judge in law and equity, can make a decision to fashion a remedy that doesn't have anything to do with damages or dollars, has to do with taking away all of the ill-gotten gains, money that should not have been generated through a fraud, that are lining somebody's pockets and giving them over to, in this case, the state in a public victim's compensation fund. That's disgorgement. That's what the New York Attorney General is seeking, not victim restitution. Victim restitution is a criminal concept, generally an equitable criminal concept, where the uh, a criminal convicted has to repay <laughs> the restitution victims of his crime. That's separate from damages, which is a legal concept, post this on Facebook. generally in civil matters, not criminal, where you have to pay for the, what you've done. Okay, so <clears throat> what kind of music to have? Midas uh, Popak. See if, if he will collaborate with me. That would be cool. He's my friend. He's my friend. <coughs> He's my friend. Midas Touch. And, uh,. Uh, young Dems, you of a Young Democrats. AZ Young Dems. 
Education Caucus. Hillary Clinton calls for formal deprogramming of MAGA cult members. my little contribution. <clears throat> I think I'm going to make a little TikTok out of this one. Oh, shit. Yeah.